morning, everyone. It is a great honor for me to be with you this morning. I love this house. I love this community. And so it is, um, it's just a great honor for me to get to share with you this morning. Just a little bit about me. Um, I am a second generation Fullertonian, born and raised by parents who were born and raised right here in good old Fullerton. And so I attended Fullerton schools all of my growing up years. And uh, my mom and I, who's right here to champion me on this morning, <laughs> we, we actually went to the same high school and we had a couple of the same teachers. I will never forget walking into my psychology class in high school. Mr. Kawagoe looked right at me and he said, oh yeah, you're Patty Bunnell's daughter. And he knew where she sat in his class. It was wild. Also, um, our high school, we had these like really determined boundaries around social groups. I'm guessing that your high school experience was probably similar. We had like these invisible lines <laughs> that went around where kids would hang out at lunch and at break. For us, we had freshman tree. That's where the freshmen would gather in these insecure, nervous little clumps. And we had the benches over by the cafeteria, you know, where the sophomores um, had taken a step up from freshman tree to the benches. Then the, um, the uh, juniors had kind of the reign of the quad, and then seniors had senior corner. And then even beyond that, we had like the outer skirts of campus, so like the parking lots and the street that bordered campus. This was like for troublemakers, smokers. These are the kids that, that were on first name basis with the campus security officers. And for whatever reason, these were the kids that had um, resolved, or maybe they didn't want to be, a part of the main hubs of campus. So they stayed physically like on the outer skirts of campus. And then right in the center of campus, we had the wall. The wall was the popular kids. This was the in crowd. The wall was Mostly jocks, cheerleaders, senior jocks, senior cheerleaders, campus leaders, and it's like a secret society that you had to be like approved into to get to hang out there. And once in, these kids like had power to approve or dismiss other kids. Now for me, I was never a popular kid. I was never in the in crowd, but as a sophomore, I was invited to the homecoming dance by a football star from the wall. All right, all right. Okay? I was ecstatic. I thought, this is it. This is it. All of my insecurities and my social anxiety will now disappear. I will now be invited in to this group. And I had always like admired the popular kids because they just seemed so confident. I was dealing with a lot of insecurity myself, and, and they just seemed to have none. And so I put all this time and energy, the right dress, the right shoes, got my makeup done, got the hair done, made sure the nails were just right. All, everything had to be just right because this was it. I was no longer going to be insecure, but I was going to be invited into 
this elite group and I'm going to become one of those popular girls that I had always admired. Well, guess what? It didn't really turn out that way. <laughs> I bet you're not surprised. That night was actually rather awkward. And um, the other girls in like the group that we went with, they kept taking like these sideways glances in my direction, whispering amongst themselves, <laughs> as if to like say, mm, I don't know what he was thinking inviting you here, because you clearly do not belong. And although that was painful and seemed to like affirm the self-talk that I was never going to be a cool kid, really, I didn't feel like I belonged. And I was really relieved when I got home that night. And I think that when I look back on that experience, I don't know that I really wanted to be a part of the in-crowd as much as I really just wanted to be invited in. And isn't that the case with us? Don't we want to be invited in and included? And I think that all of us have felt at one time or another like an outsider. Even the coolest of the cool kids in the culture of cool at my high school, I believe that everyone feels the pain of not being included at one time or another. That's because that's the nature of the culture of cool. It's finicky. It's fleeting. It's always temporary. And you know what? We don't age out of it. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't leave the culture of cool when we leave high school. It's everywhere. It's in every industry. It's in politics. It is even in the church. It is what's trending. It's the influencers. It's the celebrities. It is this world system, but it is not God's system. God's system is not a culture of cool. God's system is a culture of inclusion. And this culture is exactly what we find in the uh, passage that we've been talking about for several weeks now, this passage in Acts 2. And we're going to reread this passage together, but before we do... I would really like us to pause for a minute. Everybody go inside and find that little outsider feeling that we have all had. Maybe you go into a memory that you've had, but we've all experienced it. So let's go inside and find that little outsider feeling. Hold on to it while we read this passage together. This is Acts 2, 42 to 47. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Listen to these words. Every soul, together, 
all things in common, as any had need, glad and generous hearts, all the people. What's happening with that little insider place in your heart? For me, it stirs up great longing, and I think, oh, yeah, I want to be a part of a community like that. I love how this community of believers beautifully reflects God's heart of inclusion. God's heart is inclusion. His culture is inclusion. He challenges the world's culture of cool and the very human tendency to exclusivity with a culture of inclusion where the world's culture of cool is finicky, God's inclusion is secure. Where the culture of cool is fleeting, God's inclusion is permanent. Where the culture of cool is always temporary, God's inclusion is eternal. It is who he is. And where God is always saying, come Come to me. Come to me. Come and be filled with my spirit. We're going to um, look over at 2 Peter 3, 9 as just one example of the way that God uh, demonstrates his heart of inclusion. 2 Peter 3, 9, and I'm going to read from the New King James Version. And it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's heart is that all would come, all would come into his family, into his kingdom. God is patient and long-suffering with us in hopes that all would come. Come to me, he says. Come and be filled with my spirit. Come and find healing. Come find true rest. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Come to me, he says. God is a God of invitation and inclusion. Invitation and inclusion is the very essence of hospitality. Hospitality is part of God's character. Hospitality is who God is. And even more, or in addition to hospitality and welcome and invitation being part of God's character, this points to something. This is leading us somewhere. God's heart of invitation and welcome, it is taking us ultimately to a destination, and that destination is the celebration and the culmination of the ages. It is the pinnacle of every time God says, come. It's the invitation of all invitations of all time. It is the place. And do you know what that place is? The wedding feast 
of the Lamb. Revelation 19.9 says, this is John, an angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And then it says that John fell prostrate at the feet of the angel. This was a powerful moment. How many of you know there is power in the words of God? In the true words of God, it brought John flat on his face. It's as if the angel is saying, write this down. It is so important that everyone knows that God is preparing this feast. This is not a pipe dream. This is not a distant fantasy. This is real. Make sure everyone knows they are wanted at this table. This is the word of God. This is the true word of God. There are no outsiders in God's heart. God wants everyone to be there. And now that we understand that hospitality and welcome is part of God's character, and we know that this character is leading and pointing us to a destination, to that culminating celebration of the wedding feast of the Lamb, what does that mean for us as Christ's followers? Well, I believe that it means a great deal, but two things specifically. First of all, I believe that our starting line is that we have to know, like really deeply know and understand that we are a part of God's family and his kingdom. If you have placed your faith in Jesus and made him the Lord of your life, Luke 10.20 says you can rejoice because your name is written in the book of life. And once we have made Jesus our Lord and Savior, John 10, 28 says that no one can take us out of his hand. It's done. We are in. And we need to live as though we know that. And if you have not yet this morning made Jesus your Lord and Savior, I believe that today can be the day of salvation for you. All that it takes is a simple prayer of faith to put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior and to receive his free gift of salvation. And I believe that if that is you this morning, that can be your next step of faith during response time today. But the point is that once we have done that and made that step of faith, we can rest in the security of knowing we are in God's kingdom, there's already a place card with your name on it at the wedding feast of the Lamb. And that cannot be changed. Amen. And what does that mean for, for us? That means that we can live as people of great hope. We can live as people who are redeemed. And we got to tell people about this invitation the greatest act of hospitality that we can practice in our lives is telling people that they're invited to the wedding feast, telling people they are wanted at the table, telling people about the saving grace of Jesus and God's great love. 
is the greatest act of hospitality that we can practice because that is everyone's most important yes. That is the most important yes, most important invitation that we can accept. And so when we practice hospitality, we get to partner with God's heart of, of inclusion and his welcome, and we get to point the way to the wedding feast of the Lamb. In addition to that, um, God directly instructs us to be hospitable. Here's just a few quick verses. Romans 12, 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 9 says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. And I'd like us to look at another uh, passage this morning that speaks about hospitality. If we could look over at Luke 14, 12 to 14. Luke 14, 12 to 14. This is Jesus, and he said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, this passage is not saying that we should not love and show hospitality to our friends and our family and those we love in our life circles. Obviously, we are to show God's love to the people in our natural life circles. But there is an admonition here that we don't only ever invite the people that are easy and comfortable for us to invite. It's like Jesus is cautioning us against that natural culture of cool, against that really human uh, nature towards exclusivity. He's cautioning us and encouraging us to stretch our heart capacity that we would be intentional and live with an eternal perspective to reach beyond our natural life circles and look for people to include and invite. Now, I don't know about you. This is not easy. <laughs> this is not easy. I like being around people I'm comfortable with. I enjoy being around my friends and my family and people in my natural life circles. It's fun. It's refreshing. It's relaxing. I enjoy that. Reaching beyond that is, is um, it's a challenge. It's a challenge for me. New people are great. And uh, new people can be difficult. Like, what if I don't gel? What if somebody's abrasive? Like, what if somebody's judgy or, I don't know, overly anything? <laughs> Just... It's a, it's a challenge for me. And I think that that's part of this calling in this scripture is like, Jesus is pretty clear. There's a cost 
to our discipleship. It costs us. And there are no outsiders in God's heart. Are there outsiders in my heart? Ouch. Are there outsiders in your heart? There is is a call and an admonition here that we intentionally reach beyond our natural life circles to bring others in. Life group. Life group is an excellent way to practice this. Life group, by definition, is a group of like-minded Jesus followers whose purpose in meeting is to encourage and mutually sharpen one another. What a great place to invite others to. Life group is a very natural, straightforward, easy way to practice hospitality to look for others and bring others in who are looking for community. If you're looking for community this morning, try Life Group. And I've been in church a long time, decades, and I can attest Life Group is not always easy. It is not always easy. Sometimes, like, I'm busy. <laughs> and, and, you know, I... It's hard to show up. And sometimes people are, people are messy. Therefore, life group is going to be messy sometimes. So what happens when somebody like consistently dominates the discussion? <laughs> what happens when someone doesn't participate at all? What happens if I'm not getting my needs met at life group? Well, I'll tell you, the easy thing to do is to bail. But I wonder... In light of this passage, in this calling, what is the heart posture that Jesus is calling me to have? Jesus is saying, go find the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And if that's the case, you guys, we got to have grace for it. we got to have patience for it in our life groups and in our lives. And that's not easy but that's the call. That's the encouragement. And it's wonderful to think about, you know, partnering with God for his glory and showing his hospitality that all would come to the world. It's like inspiring. And yeah, I want to be a part of that. And I think we got to be honest that, yeah, but it's not easy all the time. And it isn't. Um, And I think it's interesting in this passage that Jesus takes time to list those people, right? He doesn't just say outsiders or he doesn't just say others, but he lists these kinds of people. Why? Well, I think part of it is, um, you know, we can get really accustomed to living under the amazing grace of God. And I think Jesus is saying, yeah, don't forget the miry pit from which you were drawn. Because we are the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, aren't we? Aren't we the poor, unable to pay for our debt of sin? Aren't we the crippled, unable to walk this life of faith on our own? Aren't we lame, weak, and unable to function in areas that we wish we were strong? And aren't we blind, living in spiritual darkness, before receiving the light of Christ. 
Jesus is reminding us that the foot of the cross is equal ground. We give out of what we have been given. A good friend, this just this last week, um, shared an aspect of hospitality with me that I had not thought of. She shared that when we give hope and comfort to others out of an area in our life that we have received healing, that's hospitality. Wow, so good and so true. When we walk with God through our pain and through our brokenness, it creates a depth in our soul that we wouldn't have otherwise. And from that depth, we can offer and extend that to others and offer them hope and encouragement. It's like it creates a spiritual living room in our soul that we can offer others comfort and take a load off from their weary travels. But if we choose instead to avoid or deny areas of our brokenness, our spiritual living room is going to be so cluttered with unkept piles, we're not going to have true comfort to extend to others. There's going to be a real, true, safe space for them to take a load off because it's going to be cluttered. But when we say yes to walking with God through our pain, I'm convinced that pain is often the pathway of peace. Pain is the pathway to peace. God is a God of redemption. God is a God of hope. And this morning, I, I think that, that that needs to be an encouragement and, and a, almost a permission for some of us that are experiencing places of pain in our life. The invitation of God is typically to go through the pain. That's how that depth of um, redemption and that depth in our soul is forged that way. I'm, I'm sure that we have all been on the giving and receiving side of that kind of hospitality. Um, I know that I have. One of the many areas of brokenness in my own life is losing a loved one in a very unexpected and tragic way. And I have received healing in that area in my heart from Jesus. And by and large, that came from others walking alongside with me, offering me hope when I didn't have any on my own. And because of the healing and hope that I have received from Jesus through others, I've been able to offer that to other people. In fact, just this past week, I was able to offer some encouragement and some comfort to a dear friend who's suffering from a very tragic and confusing loss. When we say yes to Jesus and walk through pain, it, it's like an asset that we now have that we can then extend to other people. What a beautiful display of hospitality. What a true heart of hospitality that that is. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Whenever we practice hospitality, we are doing two things. We are reflecting the inclusive heart of God for all people. And we are pointing the way to that culmination of the ages, the celebration of God's desire, the wedding feast of the Lamb. Anytime we practice hospitality, we are doing those two things. Hospitality can take several forms in our lives. Um, There are countless creative ways to be hospitable, but generally and foundationally, hospitality is simply being aware of others. Simply being aware of others and looking for opportunities to meet needs or to add to another's comfort. John Mark Comer defines hospitality as expressing the welcome of God to all through tangible acts of love. Expressing the welcome of God to all through tangible acts of love. We don't got to be Martha Stewart to be hospitable. (laughs) Simply opening the door to your house, offering a glass of water to anyone who would come to your home is a lovely, hospitable habit. Don't not invite people to your home because it's small, because it's messy. It's just an honor to be invited to someone's home. Not that we shouldn't tidy up before people arrive. Truth be told, I have been known to hide an entire sink of dirty dishes in my oven. You two can, yeah, that's a trick, just passing that on. Life hack from Jen. (laughs) We do life in our homes. Our homes are where we live. We don't do life in a magazine or in a museum or on Pinterest. We live and do life in our homes. Open the door to your home. Invite others into your home. Invite others into your life. We can also practice hospitality out and about going through daily life, a simple smile, how's your day going to the store clerk? You have a friend who's stressed, bring him a little treat. A simple note to a neighbor, are you stopping for a coffee? Send a text ahead, ask if anyone else would like one. These little things, they go a long way and they express the heart of God to love and extend to all people. Hospitality matters. Hospitality, God calls us to make it part of our life, part of how we live. We are called to display God's heart of inclusion to the world. We are called, just like God challenges the culture of cool and that tendency toward exclusivity, God challenges that. And now he's saying, okay, you guys, now you challenge that. Challenge that. Live with an eternal perspective. Reach beyond your comfortable circles. Yeah, I know it's not easy. Yeah, I know. 
life group is messy. But you know what? It's worth it. It is always more blessed to give than receive. And remember, we give out of what we have been given. We have been given so much. We have been given eternal life. That is a great abundance from which we get to now live and turn our attention to others. We let him have more and more of our heart. He expands the place of our heart makes room for hospitality. When we say yes to God and we have the courage to walk through pain instead of wanting to go around pain, God expands the place of our soul and we get to offer that with true hope to others. Anytime we're practicing hospitality, We are reflecting the heart of God to the world, and we are pointing to the wedding feast of the Lamb, the most important yes that anyone can have. So in closing this morning, I'd like to invite up the uh, worship team. They can start praying. And in response, we're just going to spend some time with God this morning. Maybe on your own or maybe with one of our leaders who will be on the side ready to pray and talk with you. But our response time kind of has uh, two parts this morning. One is that internal place. Do you know this morning that you are secure in God's kingdom? If not, maybe today is the day of salvation for you and you want to pray the prayer to make that your truth this morning. Our leaders would love to pray that with you this morning. Or maybe you'd like to renew your faith and trust in God and ask Holy Spirit to affirm that you are securely in his love. And if you feel secure in God's kingdom, praise God. And what is Holy Spirit asking you to do? How is Holy Spirit asking you to display that great truth to the world? What aspect of hospitality is Holy Spirit asking you to do to expand your awareness of others, to reach beyond your comfortable circles, to invite others in? Spend some time with Holy Spirit and ask him. Maybe it's life group. Maybe it's another way in your life. But he has something for you, um, a way to express his heart of hospitality that all would come. I'm just going to pray over us as we uh, start our reflection time. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for securing our place at the table of the wedding feast of the Lamb by giving your very life. God, thank you for your heart and desire is that all would come. Would you show us, Holy Spirit, how we can show your great kindness and love to the world around us. Forgive our tendency towards exclusivity and lead us into lives that display your great hospitality. It's in the power and in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.